We want to start this episode on the topic of mental health in love and relationships by saying the Love Conquers podcast is not a substitute for professional help or advice. If you live in Australia, please call Lifeline on 131114 or go to lifeline.org.au. If you live outside Australia, search your local crisis line and get support. And also, a bit of content warning. If listening to us talk about topics like mental health, suicide and trauma is likely to be confronting or triggering for you, it's best you skip our show. Love Conquers is a relationships podcast by Matt and Kaz Page. Love can help us overcome a lot, but can't conquer all. You've got to own your worth. So today's hot topic is mental health. Both Matt and I have been the sufferer and the carer. And so we get to talk perspective from both sides of the coin for us. Um, And we also get to, you know, I guess break down the insight to how it's affected our family and the long-term ramifications and why I get so frustrated at mental health being perceived as dirty words in this country. I think that just needs to stop. So hopefully we'll break that down a bit today as well. So I remember getting a message from my mate Chevy and um, I was working in the coffee shop at the time and it was just like, it was just a very bizarre time and it was very tumultuous for, for us. So it was weird to get a message from this particular gentleman who I'd served with and who was my boss. And um, when I opened up the message, and it was weird timing too, but I'll sort of explain that later on, but it was just a, a real simple message. It was like, hey, have you heard about John? And I was like... What do you mean? What about John? I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, but you know, he was pretty low key. And um and he he said, Oh, John hung himself the other day. And um we're waiting to hear back about the funeral, but I just sort of let you know. And I was like, fuck. And it's sort of thing, one of those things you never sort of really expect to you don't expect it ever, and you certainly don't expect it from people you know. You sort of hear these things abstractly that it's like one of those things that's out there, but then all of a sudden, you know, somebody that you've worked really closely with for a long time and they suddenly just decide to make a irreversible decision. Um, and it was weird too. He'd reached out to me a couple of weeks before that, and, you know, it was really low-key and just bizarre, and he sort of hit me up out of the blue. And, you know, in hindsight now, I kind of feel like, it was a little bit more like a like I just need to check in with some humans and have some, I guess, some lightness that's not associated with my life anymore. And then, um, yeah, and I was, you know, sent back like minuscule messages and stuff like that, just back and forth with him, just going, you know, this is happening and this is happening and what about you and that? And then, um, yeah, sure enough, the next thing I heard was that he, you know, it still doesn't make it any sort of less of a shock, I guess, when stuff like that does happen. Eeyore. Eeyore, yeah. Fucking dead now. Go figure. John was the guy that, John was the first human that you told you were a dad to. I mean, yeah. it, 
you know, not only is it sad that he took his own life, but he was so poignant in a real special moment of your life. Yeah, and kind of like from that perspective in, in you know, and this is really abstract and I've, I make no apologies because I come at things from a very different angle, but, you know, and this is not to glorify any of these decisions, but forever in that, in forever in time now, he will be, he'll always live as he was in that moment, you know? And I mean, that's, that's my way of viewing it and that's my way that I choose to view it. And for me, that makes it beautiful because he'll never age will always be in that moment. Yeah, I think that's a really hard thing for families and friends left behind, right? Because if you if you know somebody is experiencing mental health and they end up to the point of no return, they kill themselves and they take their own life and it all stops, then you know on some level the pain for them has ceased and yeah. there's got to be that element of almost relief, I guess, for them that they don't have to endure anymore. But I don't know, man, so many people get left behind though. Yeah, and that is that is the biggest one too. It's it's the everything that comes from that, that one act. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for that one there, it's like it, the gravitas of that one decision is far loftier than the person in their mindset at that time is capable of even understanding. And the trouble is once you make a decision to end your life, you might, you, I'll, yeah, I won't even address this one up. You've ended the people you love's life too because yep. a part of them dies at that moment. Absolutely. And Absolutely. doesn't grow, doesn't change, doesn't improve. That part stays that way and it can affect the way people develop, you know, growing up. It can Kids, make the, partners, yep. you name it, the works. Spot on. And so, you know, like I guess from that perspective too, most people probably don't, or unless until they run into that wall, they don't even really understand what it's like having those things. I mean, people would understand it academically and people understand that, you know, when I bang my finger, it makes me feel sad. And so I get grumpy and then I get happy again because my finger stops hurting. <laughs> and it's a little bit more articulate than that, well, I guess. But. I think too, you've also got to, there is a difference between suicide and depression. You can be depressed and not be suicidal and you can have mental health related anxiety or different types of conditions and not be suicidal. For me, when I was going through my issues and when the doctors were telling me that I had mental health, I wasn't looking at that from the point of view that I wanted to die. I was looking at, I wanted to, that the world hurt and my head hurt and it felt heavy and I felt drained and I felt like there was no way out, but I didn't think that I was just going to end it. I just felt like I was stuck in this never ending groundhog day thing. Whereas, you know, that day that you rang me. Yeah. Well, different circumstances, right? And I think that's, that's what we're trying to, to, to really delve down to in this first part is to really sort of nail down like what's that look like in that person looking out looking in so for you you've described there like it wasn't about suicide for you it wasn't this ideation of ending it it was about you want to get off the fucking carousel yep and that's that's a pretty common feeling that's a common feeling that people feel day to day and that's another really good point to make too because when you say like i wanted to get off that ride like daily People feel that way. But when it becomes a chronic issue or when it becomes something you can't see past, that's when we start to look at it as though it's a mental health issue. 
getting mental health support look like like for people who hear about mental health and you hear about it on tv and podcasts and whatnot but what does it actually look like in terms of seeking help what's the process the individual in crisis probably won't understand exactly what it is i mean they might if they're very, very well in tuned with what their body does or what their mind does and how they flow and everything like that, you have an understanding of that stuff. Um, but generally when we're talking mental health, it's probably because you don't have an understanding of that to begin with. And so therefore the situation, i.e. the mental state or whatever it is, gets out of control. And so then, you know, you, you get to this point there where you're in distress. And so then it either comes down to you as the individual to identify that and to seek help which is very hard to do, especially when you're in the middle of a mental health crisis or situation. And so then it comes down to the people that are closest to you to have to do that, whether it be, you know, your family members or whether it be colleagues at work or something like that. And normally they will start to chip away at the edges generally, you know, and a lot of times it'll be floating it in a really light fashion, just nudging at the edges of what you might be feeling so they can get a gauge on it so then they can understand whether you need some help or not. I'd imagine that's how most people wind up finding assistance in this format unless they've been through some sort of clinical help or psychological help in the past and the next port of call would be for a gp how did it work out for you yeah for me it was the same deal so i needed to um contact my gp and my family was there there were some issues there and and obviously they were bringing these to my attention as well and that makes it difficult and tumultuous and i'm sure you probably got some anecdotes that might say that you know it was really hard to get me to the doctors i don't know at that time, I don't have any recollection really whether it was hard to get me to go see a doctor to get assessed for mental health or not. Um, and it's not as though we necessarily specifically looked at something that was just like, we're going here because there's mental health. We're going here because we've got this whole big issues and it's really affecting me at some form or another. And this is what I'm dealing with. This is how I'm coping with it. And this is what our family life looks like. What do you think? It's that's the feeling about how I feel like it sort of went down that process once we started to get in with the GP and then specialists and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I just remember because obviously through our journey while we were living in amongst the thick of it, you weren't forthcoming with a lot of thought process and talking to me and being yeah. very open about what was going on in your head, but you wrote more in depth when you wrote your inserts in our book. And so that was probably the first time that I got a real insight as to how you were thinking and, and processing at the time. And I don't think I was too far wrong in my assumption at the time of, you know, you were reclusing and, and going deeper and deeper into a dark place. Um, but the specifics of it I didn't know about until I read it when yeah. you put it forward for the book. Yeah, so, you know, over time I think to you tend to gloss over things or they tend to get smoothed out a little bit or you you understand things better, so you're obviously able to articulate it. But, you know, when you're going through that process there, I don't think we have the clearest perception of what exactly is going on throughout it. So, you know, I think from there you try and sort of understand it as best you can because that's how you can move forward. But realistically, what I wrote in the book was probably a very clean version compared to whatever the bullshit was that was going around inside my skull. At the time. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, it was very full on. It was hard. You're going through this stuff. I can't get inside your head, so I don't know exactly what you're thinking. So I don't know how close to the line you are. And as carers, we've got to pull everything else together. We've got to keep the world going. We've got to keep the roof over our head. We've got to keep... You know, if you've got a job at the time, you've got to keep that going. If you've got little kids, I know feeling overwhelmed by it all because I was trying to protect the kids. I was trying to not let them have a bad taste in their mouth about their dad. I wanted their dad to still be their hero and I wanted them, I wanted to protect them from a lot of what was going on in our world as most parents will want to do anyway. But, you know, being in this kind of situation added an extra layer of pressure to it. I don't think there's enough empowerment of carers. I don't think there's enough. Carers also end up with mental health-related issues because they are so focused. They stop being a partner and become a carer and the whole dynamics of relationships change. Um, You know, and I'm talking obviously from my own personal experience being the wife, but I'm sure from a parent's perspective, you know, there's that the, the nurturing that stops because instantly you have to become this carer and as a carer the world is different. And so it's hard. Ultimately, in that situation too, like, you know, people don't necessarily take into consideration because you're the one caring, so therefore it's automatically in that frame set of mind is that you are okay. So therefore, I guess maybe, you know, you don't, there's that automatic predisposition to not, um, I guess, identify that mental health is a, is a, two-pronged problem if you've got a care or a codependency relationship thing going on there so I guess people really struggle with that factor too because if you're the carer and you're caring for somebody who's sick it has a tendency there to not address the own issues that you have because your role is now the carer yeah and I I think and, and you and I have talked about this many a times I feel like through the process of it I lost me and I'm very open about that I feel like I become so entrenched in caring and trying to make everything seem and feel normal that I forgot who I was in the process and I stopped being your best friend and I stopped being your wife and I just took on this role of trying to make everything normal well fuck what is normal and from that perspective too you know you have a look at it and go back down the other or down part of that pathway too is when you have a relationship together and you are now a carer, one partner is a carer and one partner is obviously the one being cared for that has significant effects in relationships. And what we see with a lot of couples there or people in that situation where one is caring for the other is that nobody realised it, but somewhere in the journey, one person became the nurse and one person became the patient and that's where their relationship now lies. And so whilst they were still civil to each other, they weren't necessarily what they were when they started this journey together. But I think too if – and I, I don't know. I, for me, when you were the sufferer and I was the carer, in my emotional state, my, you know, instincts is to nurture and whatever, whatever, whatever. Was it different 10 years before that when the roles were reversed and I was a sufferer and you were caring for me? Did you feel like you were partly removed from the relationship? Because I wasn't forthcoming with the ownership of – saying I was struggling mentally, yeah. it was you and Valerie who helped me kind of get to that point and then obviously the doctor and the counsellors. Yeah, look, I didn't. I don't feel like my role changed in that. I mean, it's tough. I don't. I never felt at that moment, nor do I now ever feel like I was caring for you. 
as such, like as in you were incapable or it was something well beyond your power. We knew we had a road ahead, but it was a progressive road that we could, you know, I guess walk together on. So for me in that situation, it was quite easy. Like, you know, I just knew there was a situation. It felt awful that you were going through that, but there was a clear pathway. There was a job ahead of us, but we were going to get it done. And we had a plan, you know, in that afternoon where I met you after you'd been to the doctors, you know, we sat there and we said, okay, well, we've got to get you out of this job. We've got to get you back to a job that you understand. You've got to get it back onto your terms and we've got to start moving forward. And sure enough, white pill and, and some help and that's it. And it's about making those decisions. So, I mean, ideally in life, we'd be all a lot happier if we didn't have to wait till we were ready to fucking break down. Fall but, the edge. you know, unfortunately we... I hated feeling helpless. I hated feeling like I needed to rely on a tablet and... Let's fast forward now because you and I both know that I started having fits about 18 months ago and the all the medical professionals that I've been seeing and everything like that are now telling me that you know, it's a mental type reaction and I'm back on those pills. Yeah. And I write in the book, like, if you just have to take one fucking white pill a day, take the damn pill. But I, I know, right? So just so everybody knows then, he just looked at me with a thousand eyebrows across his forehead because I still struggle with it. I still struggle with the stigma that I'm so desperately trying to break and I'm so desperately trying to break it for myself as much as for everybody else. Yeah. Like, please don't think I'm out there as a champion saying mental health are not dirty words, but guys, I'm no better or worse than you. I struggle underneath it just yeah. as much. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say that I'd used, ever used the words that you felt embarrassed by it, but I think it makes you feel like you are inadequate in some It makes me feel weak. Yep. It just makes me feel weak. Yeah, which is wrong. Absolutely it's wrong. It's 100% wrong because I know I'm not weak. I am not a weak person. Yeah, and in your case too, you particularly wound up in a set of circumstances where you weren't, you were denying your body's ability to process this psychological, you know, distress you were in and you kept going, shut up body, shut up mind, let's just keep going. If we just get this done, everything's going to feel sweet. And it just kept building up. So in your, at your pinnacle point of your depressive state mm -hmm. and me caring for you and trying to, how did you feel? Did you feel like I was your carer? <sighs> not did you it, resent it? Not earlier. Not early in the piece, no. Um, because I'd never, I didn't identify with you fulfilling that role. Yeah. So for me, from that perspective there, I was still managing me. You were aware of it and we, you were helping me yeah. um, through those times, but I didn't actually view it at the time as if you were my carer. Mm -hmm. um, again, I, I still probably had the stigma of when we talk about in the, in the terms of mental health or in, in the veteran advocacy space that the carer is somebody that is living with you or, or works with you all day to help you do shit you can't do because you can't get it done or you're broken or you're that fucked up that you just can't do it or your medications don't let you. So, from that perspective there and coming from the world that I came from, I didn't identify you as a carer until much later in the path. Mm -hmm. um, and by then I'd already so conditioned my mindset to these are the things we need to think of as being part of the 
veteran community as we're trying to get the assistance and the repatriation help that we need, um, that a carer is a natural part of it. So it's like, okay, well, so who's your carer? Well, I don't have one. Well, is your wife there? Yeah, she's your carer. Okay, but she doesn't do any of my shit. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, you think because in that moment there, I thought because I was physically capable, I could put my shoes on, I could put my socks on, I could drive myself wherever I wanted to go. I was fine. I didn't have a carer. And so that's where, you know, that mentality there came from. So these days, I don't, I mean, I acknowledge the fact that there are factors there where you just care for me. But then in saying that too, I also acknowledge that we do a far better job of trying to care for each other. And so I don't know whether it's evolved from, you know, a carer relationship back into we just be husband and wife and we just pick up where we need to or whether it's now become synonymous with who we are as people that we just, we have this codependency thing on and it's probably pretty gross for us. Why is it gross? Just jokes. If it's the male that is suffering from mental health, I wonder if one of the triggers in that psyche is he gets angry because he now feels dependent on the partner. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely a resentment factor there for a lot of people. You know, and there'd be a res- there's a resentment factor for me at a I'd say at a coalface level when it comes to caring, like when I'm sick, I don't want people fetching me stuff. I don't want people bringing me stuff. I, I'm capable. I can physically do that. There might come a day where I need it and that's the time for that in my head. So I become very despondent when I'm sick. Yeah, you're a right I pain do in the ass when you're sick. I not anybody's help. I just want to sit here and I want to get through this and I want to be as normal as possible. But you're also very cranky and you're very snappy through that process. So yeah, but in like piss off to the bedroom and don't come out until you feel better. In saying that, though, it's because people keep on harassing me with, "What do you need? I don't need anything." When he's saying people, he's actually talking about his wife and his three daughters. Yeah. <laughs> just to bring that to the forefront. What you need is just to be left alone. Yeah, I just yeah. need to ride <laughs> this ride this fucking pain out. Stop hassling me. Yeah. Yeah. Get out <laughs> to your shit. You yeah. can. can you both? Give me individually three words that describe what it feels like to be in the thick of it with mental health. Darkness, fear and anger. I'd say I feel generally alone in those moments. And I already, generally when I get bad, I feel like I'm already gone and that I just hasn't like the physical physicality of the step hasn't happened yet. Um, and as weird as that sounds, like for me, it's just like, I'm already gone. I'm already, it's just, I just, and, and that's probably another thing too, that people don't get about depression. Okay. They're like, well, if you're depressed, just, you know, do things to make yourself feel happy. Okay. Yeah. Which is good. It's definitely sound advice. Like at a, at a micro level, like if you're feeling down movement, exercise, seeing somebody, getting dressed, having a shower, all those things in a routine will make you feel better. The part where you get with depression is that you can get so deep in that hole that you don't even have the energy to make the decision anymore. That you are certain that once you have that energy, you are going to do that thing that is going to end that pain 
but you do not have anywhere near the energy to physically make that happen or mentally make that happen right now. And that's kind of its own thing because you sit there and go, I, I, I crave sweet release. I just don't want this anymore, but I can't escape it right now. And that's fucking painful. And if people are struggling with their mental health, if people are struggling with their thought patterns or they're struggling with just making their bed every day or they're struggling with putting on some shoes and walking out the front door because they just can't be bothered, they don't have to understand it. They don't have to have the reasons why. But reach out. Figure out that you're worth it, you're worth the help, that you can't do it, and get someone to help you and that's that's the the brick wall that I want to try and break down like in your good days because you're going to have them give some thought to how you're going to manage the next bad day that comes along yeah because you're going to have it yeah that's and that's the important factor especially if you're living with it as opposed to this is your first experience and you know I guess that's the other part too is because you're saying to like you know trying to get in the mindset of the person who's feeling that way but the person who's in that mindset also too like doesn't even have that capacity anymore you know if you should, if this is your first uh first day out with depression you know you've got two options right it either goes good or it goes bad you either get over it and you get treatment or you fucking go worse and then eventually maybe you end your shit so nobody can actually talk to that person anymore so we don't get that feedback of okay what critical point there did you feel like ah it went wrong <laughs> You know? Yeah, absolutely. I also think in that the most confusing part is what you actually started with, which is that sometimes when people reach out, their reaching out is like, hey, mate, just wanted to check in, have a chat. They're not saying I'm struggling with mental health because yeah. they don't know they're yeah. struggling with mental health. And I think sometimes we don't pick up on someone reaching out as what it is. Yeah, we, you and John. You know, yeah. the, the other person on the other side is like, oh, cool, they're just checking in and saying hi and I'll, like you said, I'll have some, you know, just a bit of back and forth, bit of banter, whatever, and sometimes yeah. that might help, sometimes it doesn't. Like that's the, you know, actually saying I'm not okay, Yeah, please help me. Yeah. If you if you, if you recognise that in yourself, if you've got to the point that you have, that maybe that's, that's yeah. the difference. It, it's hard at that point. Like I know months ago, months and months and months ago, I don't know how long ago it was, but I know I was in the bedroom and – Matt walked in and I couldn't explain it. I couldn't tell him why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I couldn't tell him if he hadn't have walked into the bedroom at that point and seen me and I didn't see him until, you know, later that night or whatever, I would have just hidden it from him. He would never have known that I'd had that episode in our bedroom because I couldn't understand it. I couldn't – it's like a – physical pain that just overwhelms you it just takes everything out of your life force and at that point reaching out to somebody and going for the love of god please help me is not in my thought process my thought process is just please make it stop or i just need to run or i just need to you know close my eyes and rock backwards and forwards and hope that it goes away because it is literally a physical pain 
that overwhelms. Knowing the indicators, getting through it to the other side and going and and acknowledging it and owning it, which is the part that I probably struggle with the most about this, is, is that owning it. And even though I'm not good with it today, I still quite often, you know, will talk with Matt about this and Matt will be the one talking me off the ledge going, babe, just stop it. You know, you know, look, I take my tablets every day. Like we we have a story where he got injured through his work and he has brain trauma and that led to mental health related issues. But he had never displayed mental health related issues prior to that accident where I've probably had it all my life and never been diagnosed with it and have had to struggle with it my entire life and he accepted it way quicker and way easier and didn't have the stigma with it whereas I still have it. I still struggle under that stigma of the mental health and I don't want to and I don't know why I do when I'm so vocal about saying don't. Yeah. But it's a real thing and so I want people to understand that everything you're feeling is justified. Yeah. Everything you're feeling is real. And the the guilt that's associated with it, the the fear of being weak, the the not wanting to be seen as somebody who is on antidepressants and whatever and all the rest of it, they're all real and genuine thought processes. And the more you buy into them, the heavier your depression and your issues and everything becomes because it's added pressure. Yeah, exactly right. All of a sudden you're not worried about just this one thing. You're also worried about the thing you've got to take to stop the thing that you're worried about. That's right. And yeah. and if I let you see that I'm now under that sort of pressure, you're going to make me go back and see a doctor and I'm going to have to go back on those pills again and it becomes this vicious yep. circle of cat and mouse, right? I, I want to try and hide it from you because I don't want to go back on antidepressants. And yet here I am back on antidepressants. Like, yeah. You know. And so th- and there's also this, this factor there too as far as that goes. And I think this lends a lot to mental health and it's probably – it's a concept we've probably dealt with a long time like as far as humanity goes, because we've been working through a lot of shit over the last thousands of years. But there was something they found with, I think it was prisoners of war or maybe maybe it was Holocaust survivors, but they found a direct correlation with those that could assimilate to their new environment and just understand that this is what it is and this is where I'm at and I'm just going to progress on through this versus the ones that get stopped and say, oh, wait, this is wrong. And the ones that can navigate through and just go, well, I guess this is the situation I find myself in and this is what I'm working with. They're the ones that tend to get through this stuff, not necessarily easier, but they come through it cleaner than the guys that understand this thing to be an abhorrent wrongness that's being done to them. Um, And that tends to be it. And that's the perfect, like, that's probably pretty clear with you. Like, you're a very defined person. You are mentally very structured, very defined. You know who you are, you know what you want, you know where you've come from, you know where you're going. Um, whereas me, I'm a little bit more like, yeah, maybe we'll go out, maybe we'll go to the street, maybe we won't. So, and from that perspective there too, you know, I find it very easy to adapt to every situation I'm in. Um, and so therefore for me to get over the mindset of this is what medicine I'm taking. Well, I'm just like, well, this is what I've been told to do. And if I'm going to see a specialist, then I'm going to make sure that I give it the test to see how it goes so that I can try and get some benefit out of it. That's the difference, but I'm also very flexible in that sense. So I think for me to take the pills, it's a no-brainer. It's an easy thing. Whereas for somebody who is very entrenched in how they need to go about their day and what they believe to be true, 
it's a lot harder because all of a sudden you go, well, but hang on a second though. I don't feel like I'm losing it either. I'm feeling depressed and I'm feeling terrible and I'm having trouble dealing with some stuff, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm crazy and I don't feel like I'm losing it. Well, you're not crazy. You're not losing it. But if you don't pay attention to that stuff and start to look at it down the path, then what you find is the situation we found with you is that it comes back to bite you because your body can only absorb so much. Yeah, and then my body starts fitting and takes control over me. And Yeah, exactly right. Physical pain intensifies. Yeah. When we deal with this, it comes down to the basis of how you can handle any situation, your ability to be able to process trauma, which kind of sucks because then it probably indicates that you've had a history of dealing with trauma, so you've built up a really good callus for it. I know that as we were going through everything we've gone through over the last 20 odd years, that there were times where I had been suffering and not acknowledged it and not owned it and therefore that became to the detriment of the people around me as well. Um, And I know on some level that, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about what gets passed down through family generations. Yeah. And I think if we can, I I think we're changing the landscape on mental health. I don't think we're doing it fast enough. And I worry that through the process, especially in the veteran community, I really worry that we we don't change it fast enough and therefore divorce becomes an even higher rate and families blow up and break away and break down. And it's not because there wasn't love in the relationship. It was because there was no acknowledgement, no ownership, no honesty with oneself to say this is where I'm at and yes, I need help and you're my person. And please be my person through this. And, you know, on the good days, let me say thank you for being my person. And on the bad days, holy fuck, thank you for being my person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that too, because there's no, as a nation of people, there's no leadership in regards to this. We try and let, you know, football stars and we try and let people that are celebrities tell us about mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to speak with confidence about that when you're earning good money and you're not in the rate race and all that sort of shit. But the reality is, if we are to tackle this and make this a significant change in how we look at mental health, then it's kind of like anything else. It's got to be a top-down approach, right? So, you know, when you're at work, you don't expect the culture of your organisation to change unless it changes from the top down really, right? So, I guess, like, you know, and it's all very good and well to have big, big popular people to talk about their mental health journeys or how we need to be strong, but, you know, I guess my, my point of view was, is comes from a very military I, ideal in that sense. So I don't want guys that are rock stars telling me how hard it is and how I've got to be strong with mental health. What I want or I look for command presence or responsibility through leadership. And so for me, you know, the way we get around this mental health thing or make it less of a stigma in purely just a, a military mindset would be that, you know, if I was a commander of a battalion or whatever, you know, my standing order would be I have a monthly debrief with a psych and all of my fucking officers or all of my staff have a one-month debrief, mandatory. 
Whether they choose to do more than that is up to them, but I would make sure that everybody knows that I am seeing this person because it keeps me in the field longer. It helps me fight the fight longer because it helps me to own my fucking other side of things, which is my mental shit. Um, and so for me, that's what I was looking for, I guess, was that mentality of like, well, okay, if we're all expected to be, you know, open and upfront with it, but then we see these guys telling us we have to be open upfront about it, but then we see them not actually coming through with it. It just makes it look like a sham, right? And so, you know, my point of view from the, the leadership top-down approach is like, well, does the prime minister see a shrink? And if they don't, why the fuck don't they? You know, like, why is that person that we're, you know, so heavily painting in the media that cops a ration of shit every fucking minute, why are they not on a fucking teleconference every week with a fucking shrink to make sure that they're fucking running the country right? I had a real problem when I was a first-time mum and she was about... I don't know, maybe four or five, and I was struggling a fair bit and somebody suggested I go see a shrink. And for an hour we talked about everything, toing and froing and all the rest of it, and I walked away feeling like I was a bad mum. Yep. She was a bad shrink. Yeah, terrible shrink. So <laughs> I'm 19, first-time mum or 20, first-time mum, and, you know, my world's not – it's not great. The circumstances in which I'm living is not great, but – I seek out help and I walk away feeling worse than what I started. I think there is an absolute place for shrinks. I think there's an absolute place for psychologists, for counsellors. I think it's imperative and I think they are very important people in this pathway. But I understand people's reservations, fear or un unwillingness to go down that path, especially as a first point. Yep. Um. Yeah, I think the Prime Minister absolutely needs to be data dumping. Yep. But I think for me personally, it's more important to start the conversation with anyone who's willing yes. to listen. Sorry, yes, that's a valid point. Be Find the person you trust. It doesn't have to be someone you don't know who's educated. Well, and, and yeah, along with that, it could be any cunt you fucking happily trust. That's the important part. Yep. And Being you feel able to with. data dump. Yeah. And I can't stress enough here today how important it is for someone who has got their head racing, that there's a million things going on, that you've got trauma from whatever you've been through, the ability to have someone to just say everything that's in my head, it doesn't have to make sense, it doesn't have to, you don't have to understand it, I just have to trust that you're hearing me. Yep. and that you're not going to throw that back at me and that you're not going to run away and tell anybody else because I need to get my deepest, darkest thoughts out. So it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? Like you don't take one piece out of the box. You take them all out of the box and you turn them all up the right way so you can see the pictures yep. and then you start putting the jigsaw puzzle pieces, the jigsaw puzzle together. You have a thousand pieces of a jigsaw puzzle in your head. And they're all whirling around and you can't see the cardboard from the picture and so you need to get it out of your head, you need to put it on a table, you need to flip them all up the right way and start putting it back into a picture that works for you. And to do that, you talk.
so you had your first carer or the first person you went to to try and form a relationship with and in the end they pretty much just like ran you into the ground by all accounts made yeah. made you feel like you weren't being adequate parent yeah yeah no and and see that's the fucking that comes down to the clinician at the time too clearly not somebody who's used to dealing with mothers in distress clearly not somebody used to dealing with a younger person in yep. distress yep. and so you know everything they did was actually the opposite of what you needed. You didn't need to be fucking told how you need to buck up and carry on. you got a kid to look after now and you just need to get back at it. No, you need to be built up, right, so you could do the best job you could do for that kid. Yep. You know, and so that comes down to, like, different types of therapists as well. Like, what do they – how do they treat people and what does that person need? See, so for you, you know, you need a bit of talk therapy. You needed to get it off your chest. You need to see that it wasn't all in your head and that it wasn't all fucking craziness. And that there was actually some steps you could take to start moving in the right direction to make it all make sense. You know, sometimes that's, I mean, that's pretty much been my existence with my psychs has been like, I just turn up and I talk to people and sometimes they share a story. Sometimes I share a story. Sometimes they talk about a bad experience. I talk about a bad experience and that's been it for me. A lot of my mental health growth has come from, you know, just, I call it like this screaming into the void, but, it's, you know, you just sit there and you fucking take time and you just fucking raw horsepower think your way through about what it is that's going on. I do that to understand myself better, but I think I'm trying to work to a point where I communicate it with you more so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like our journey together now is more of a, a co-ed journey through mental health as opposed to two single journeys through mental health now we kind of have shared experiences that we both felt depressed we've both felt times where it was all too much both felt times where we were resentful of things and now we get or to resentful of each other each other yeah absolutely you know and now we get now we tend to view these situations more so as if we're attacking them together it was we and we talk about this in the book too it's harder for me to help you get through your dark periods because that's when you shut me out. Yeah, it's and, and that's a protection thing. So, and that's that's something I'm trying to do, or we're trying to work together better at. Because at least then it's not so much me. Like, I don't need to necessarily spill it all out. But if I can communicate to you that I'm just processing shit now, like at least then you don't feel like I'm fucking completely closing you out. Yeah, well, and I also don't feel like maybe it was something I've done either. And that was the hardest part when we were first going through your, um, you know, after the accident for you because we constantly felt like we were walking on eggshells. We didn't know from one minute to the next when you were going to blow up or why you were going to blow up. And at that point you didn't know either. Whereas when I go into my states – you're my rock, you're my protector, you're my – I want to bury myself into you and be protected by you. When you go into that state, you don't want me to see it. And I think that's a shame thing. I think there is an element in there that's just like you're trying to hide because you're my protector. Right, okay, yeah. And I wonder how much of that happens out there in relationship land with partners. Uh, lots of it. Lots of it happens. Like there's always one – you know, we see so many people around that they're, they're – significant other is making allowances for things or allowances for shitty behavior or you know it's just they fucking say some outlandish shit and it's okay they're just working really hard or, or 
motherfucker's probably depressed. So let's work that. I think this is where it comes back to owning your worth, right? If a partner's making allowances for bad behaviour and there is a, a possibility that this is more than just you being tired, this is more than just you being yep. overworked or a little bit overwhelmed or whatever, somewhere in there there has to be a light switch moment for you. And this is where you've got to talk about it on your good days. Yep. This is where on your good days you've got to make the plan and put the plan in place. To the same extent too, you know, the other point I wanted to cross back on there because you made a really good point about, you know, needing to open up and be able to be able to come forward with it, not hide it or not, you know, be ashamed of it or anything like that. But it's it's it comes back to your own statement about owning your worth, right? And so part of this process with mental health is, and I only observe it when it's in lack, not as if it's in abundance. So, and that is owning, when you say owning your worth, it's owning both sides of your worth, right? Oh, absolutely. So, 100%. and people will oftentimes hear this and say, oh, own your worth. So I know that I'm this good. And yep. I'm going to tell everyone I'm this good and this is how I get treated. You go, yeah, but you're also a really, really shit person. In this regard. 30% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, and that's for me, you know, I we have conversations a lot where it's like, it just comes down to fucking responsibility, doesn't it? Accountability, accountability yeah. too. And accountability. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that that's so important because so much about, how we view things naturally or, or we're structured to view things from society based is well it's it, it couldn't be me bad things happen to me but therefore if bad things happen to me i'm not responsible for that right and so that's an, another protective mechanism but it's also digging you deeper into your fucking hole right <laughs> I don't ever want people to think when I – and because this is me, this is me every day, own your worth, and I put it up every day I can, own your worth, own your worth. I don't ever want people to misunderstand that statement. Yep. When I explain own your worth, there's, there is both sides of the coin to that. Here is what I will accept as a minimum treatment from you to me. But I also know that I just simply get shit wrong and I have to be okay with owning that too. Yep. That is a part of my worth. Acknowledging, accepting and being brutally honest with myself that sometimes I just get shit wrong. Yep. And if I can do that, then I'm going to be more open to hearing it from others as well. Yep. But the minute – if I can't do that, if I can't define what my worth is, the good and the bad yes. – then no, how the hell can anybody else define my worth if I can't? Oh, exactly. And how, how can anybody respect those boundaries when they're not defined, right? That's right. I'd wanna, I, I would want to say that to probably the partners of 90% of the, the people that have reached out to me since we yeah. read the book. Yeah. Because honestly, I, it, it's 
It's their partner treating them so appallingly. It's yep. not the fact that their partner's suffering. It's not the fact that their partner has endured trauma. It's not – and this is what I mean. They still love their partner. Yep. Um, just love and love and love, and that's why they're still there. Yeah. But you can only endure so much before you break. 100%. And if I can't tell you that I'm about to break, then I'll break and walk away. Yeah, and 90% of the time people in that situation don't feel empowered to be able to tell the person that they're at the fucking end of their and tether. And this is what I mean. Like it's never – the, the divorces that are happening from mental health or the family breakdowns that are happening from mental health are not always just because the person has mental health-related issues. That's that's a crocodile. Yeah. Wait, I, I think, Charlie, you summarised it really well before in the break when you said, you know, it's it's like ASD, right? We're, we're all on spectrum. We've all got some level of mental health. We're all going to have good days and bad days. It's just how are we on that particular day? But it's owning it. And the sufferer needs to go, hey, yep, I'm going to have days when I'm a real shit bag and I'm going to be an asshole, and I know it and I can't help it. And on the good days, I'm going to acknowledge that I had a bad day yeah. and I really appreciate the fact that you hung in there by me. Don't sweep it under the rug on the good days. Don't just have a good day and then have three bad days. Like acknowledge it, work through it, talk it, discuss it, make it a normal part of your existence that it's okay to talk about this. Yes. I need, I don't have to, I don't want to, I need to own every aspect of everything I do in this life. Mm -hmm. And I have to take responsibility for it and I have to be accountable for it. And I think where we get frustrated or I get frustrated in a lot of this is I can see situations that we know about or get presented to us where mm -hmm. partners reach out and go, fuck, thank you. And then I ask you, like, what's the story here? You go, well she's such and such and she's got this husband did this and he went this and this is what's going on oh oh he's not ready to own any of it Correct. right he's still it's the army's fault and so i can and when you don't take responsibility for how you're pushing that emotion back out again yep all of a sudden you're not going to get well right because somebody else is to blame and when somebody else is to blame you can't fix somebody else you can fix yourself right <laughs> hopefully and so therefore that's my first port of call now is like Okay, what do I need to do to rectify this situation today? I've never, ever, ever in 22 years not loved you. Yep. And I have always been in love with you and I don't care if people can see a difference in that or not I can yep but it wasn't enough to keep me with you if you didn't see the pain I was in yeah because of the situation we were in with your mental health yep and this is why love conquers full stop is so important to me because it doesn't conquer all but if you have that as your basis and you're willing to work together, then love can conquer. Yeah.
with the added help of you being willing to put the effort in. And you and I needed to learn that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, it's quite clear that love can't be enough on its own. But part of, you know, part of what that means to have somebody to be in love and to to have that is that there's all these other support mechanisms that we've talked about and put in there, you know, and that's what assists it. You know, that's your force multipliers. You know, the, the line in the sand or the line of thinking that I was going down was like, you know, a military mindset because that's applicable with my mental health journey and things like that. And that is that you would never put an infantry platoon on the ground in a hostile situation with no support. And so you can't expect your relationship to be on the ground fighting against life and trying to fucking make its piece of happiness if it's on its own. Yeah. Love on its own can't do it. You've got to have those force multipliers. And that comes down to things like, you know, like what you said, you know, you've got to be willing to, yes, hang in there, but also say, like, there's got to be some boundaries there. You know, your your mental health state can't spill over and create my mental health state because then we're going to have codependent mental health states and that's going to be an issue in ourselves. Also, you know, too, we can't have one person taking responsibility for everything like the carer. Oh, I'm responsible for the house. I'm responsible for the kids. I'm responsible for him. I'm responsible for his appointments and everything like that. No, there has to be as part of the healing process there a self-responsibility factor. And not to quote, not to try and throw big names in, but Jocko Willink says it, and that is that, you know, extreme ownership breeds freedom, right? Discipline breeds freedom. Responsibility breeds freedom. It's when we take responsibility for how we get the job done or how we go through life that we actually have the freedom to be able to transcend these bounds that we fucking find ourselves in. And then hope. Help one person every day. Every day. I wanted to change that to HMPE. Just help me every fucking day. <laughs> help me person every day. Me person. Don't I do that already? Don't yeah, I help you person every day already? But it's already? not enough for I send me. You I want more. I send you a text message every day. podcast is hosted by Matt and Kaz Page and executive produced by Charlotte Goodwin. For more information, visit loveconquersthepodcast.com. Like what you're hearing? Buy the book, My Broken Soldier, The Untold Story of Life Beyond the Frontline by Karen Page. Head to kazpage.com.au Or search for My Broken Soldier on Facebook, Instagram, Amazon and Audible. Love Conquers is a podcast for adults that deals with confronting themes of all kinds. Love Conquers is not a licensed mental health service and is not a substitute for professional mental health advice, treatment or assessment. If you are struggling, don't go it alone. Please see a healthcare professional. If you live in Australia, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or go to lifeline.org.au. If you live outside of Australia, please search for your local crisis line and find support.